It comes from 2 Kings 4, 1 to 7. You can read it above on the screen or on your app. Um, This is the word of God. The wife of a man from the company of the prophets cried out to Elisha, Your servant, my husband, is dead, and you know that he revered the Lord. But now his creditor is coming to take my two boys as his slaves. Elisha replied to him, How can I help you? Tell me, what do you have in your house? Your servant has nothing there at all, she said, except a small jar of olive oil. Elisha said, Go around and ask all your neighbors for empty jars. Don't ask for just a few. Then go inside and shut the door behind you and your sons. Pour oil into all the jars, and as each is filled, put it to one side. She left him and shut the door behind her and her sons. They brought the jars to her, and she kept pouring. When all the jars were full, she said to her son, Bring me another one. But he replied, There's not a jar left. Then the oil stopped flowing. She went and told the man of God, and he said, Go, sell the oil and pay your debts. You and your sons can live on what is left. This is the word. Amen. 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 Hello, hello. Uh, Do you hear me? Oh, because usually when it needs to be closer, right? It's fine. Okay. Uh, Hello, my name is Christine. If you don't, know me. I usually uh, am one of the praise leaders here. Um, But today I get the privilege of sharing the word with you. It's been a while. I'm actually nervous. Um, I'm actually nervous. So so let's jump right into it. So let's talk. Let's just like talk. (laughs) Let's talk about the Bible a little bit. Okay, I'm going to assume we're, we're all believers here. I'm going to assume that we all believe that the word is alive and active. Amen? It's sharper than a double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joint and marrow. Uh, it judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. The word of God speaks to us. Amen? It proclaims the truth about Jesus, the truth about God the Father, and the Holy Spirit, um, and it testifies about them, him. It also testifies about the power of God, as we just read, the love of God, truth of God, forgiving God, gracious God, merciful, slow to anger, and the God of miracles. And it testifies about the cross, where death happened, it's Lent season, where death happened and where death was broken. And through Jesus' sacrifice, uh, his death and life, uh, the word even talks about us. Like, it gets to talk about even us, that we are more than conquerors, that we are fearfully and wonderfully made, uh, that we are his beloved, a new creation, chosen sons and daughters of the Most High, that when the Father looks at us, he sees Jesus. Can you turn to your neighbor and be like, you look like Jesus? (laughs) You know, of course, there's a lot more, but you get the gist. In the end, in the Bible, God is love. Do you believe that? I went on a women's retreat this past weekend with Pastor Hannah. Uh, We just, 
we helped with worship. Um, and I sat in a session where one of the women asked the group and the guest speaker something along the lines of, how do I read the Bible then? How, how do I read it? Um, do I read it so it applies to my life? Because honestly, my life is so plain. Um, and I just thought it was such a raw, honest question and thought. That shows that someone is actually wrestling with the Word of God. And throughout the discussion, an interesting point was brought up. That our lives, compared to the ones in the Bible, look plain. We're not really seeing the Holy Spirit move in power or in miracles uh, in our own lives, in healing over our sickness, over our addictions, uh, or, or our depression, both supernaturally or in the process. We're not seeing our big, big prayers being answered in a powerful way. Am I the only one alone in this? No? Okay. <laughs> We're stuck in this place where we feel like maybe God doesn't have more for us. Our circumstances make us feel like this is it. Our suffering and pain is just too much. So we... What we feel like when we read the Bible is we feel like there's a gap, right? So this is the Word of God, what's happening in the Word, and this is our life. And five things happen. Uh, I learned that three things happen, but I just added two more for our context. So five things happen when there is a gap between our own life and what we see in the Bible. Okay, we have five choices. First, we would make theological excuses, right? And this is kind of like bringing God, the word down a little to match our lives. This is where we actually box God up into a God that makes us feel comfortable about him. Uh, two, we blame God. Does God even love me? Uh, how can a God who loves bring this into my life? Three, we can feel distant we can feel an emptiness. And we use other things to make us feel better about life, uh, about ourselves, and even about God. And you get stuck in a cycle of trying to look for what you can do to feel less distant or feel less of that emptiness, uh, whether that be earning more money, whether that be using a relationship to feel better, a romantic one, whatever, whether that be serving more in the church even to be closer to him, or because that's how we feel close to him. Or even substances to get away from the pain. Four, we can actually even give up. Uh, not really like giving up on your faith, but give up on this hope that there might be more. Um, that this is it for me, and I'll accept it. It's fine. And five, um, the fifth thing that can happen when there's a gap between our experience and the word of God is we can actually take responsibility for our own development of faith and close the gap ourselves to bring it to the standard of the word of God. Are we on the same page? This is a very intentional cooperation uh, process with God, uh, with the Holy Spirit, where you rely on his power to flow in your life. And you can develop by faith, this faith by doing different things, which we'll talk about. Or um, 
I guess the sixth thing is you could go to a Bethel conference. I don't know. Just kidding. <laughs> but some of us want to close this gap. And to close this gap, I'm going to say the point is to do the fifth choice, which is to take responsibility for our development of faith and bring it up to the standard of the Word of God and what we see in the Word of God. But the thing is, we don't know what that looks like sometimes, and we just don't know how to move forward. Like, we don't know how to do that. And as you see our banner today, today is the last day of our Breaking the Soil series. And throughout this series, we talked about possible things that can be hindrances to our faith, that can be obstacles in our faith, that we move faith forward, which is this year's theme. And I want to wrap up this series. Today, this is the last week. I want to wrap up this series <clears throat> with how being stuck and not knowing what to do, being stuck and not knowing what to do and how to um, close that gap can be an obstacle to our faith. And I know we've been talking about like, kind of like the negative stuff in our lives. Oh, there can be idols in your life. There can be disappointments, wounds, lies that you might be believing in. Today, I want to kind of tell you and give you assurance that God is the one ultimately breaking the soil. And he gives you opportunities in your unique journey to cooperate with him um, to close that gap by taking risks, uh, by remembering, by holding on to the promptings of the spirit of scripture, um, or by intentionally just seeking to close the gap in your circumstances. We simply have to fight to choose to take responsibility and close the gap, okay? Or we'll get stuck in numbers one through four. I hope we're on the same page. Because there's more for you. There's just more. Because God loves you and he wants you. He has plans for you to live in the fullness of his love. Be free from your inner demons flourish in this life, to heal, to grow, and to just take you to the next level. Like where you're at right now, it's not the end. Um, and you just haven't got to your greatest potential yet. Now the woman in our passage today, uh, I want to use her story and as an example of this closing of the gap. The woman in our passage today uh, could have felt stuck in her circumstances, but she chose to let the power of God flow in her circumstances. Okay, so she chose the, the fifth choice. So her husband, who was a servant of the Lord um, in the company of prophets, has just passed away with a lot of debt. Um, as a widow, because her husband passed away, as a widow, not only are you marginalized during that time, uh, but her sons are also about to be taken away. Oh my gosh. Um, because of the debt. And not only were the remaining of all her loved ones, were, they were about to be taken away, but her sons were her lifeline at this point. But she knows something, and she wants to close this gap in her life because the first thing she does is she presents the problem to Elisha. So I think it's something like, it, I think it was known that Elisha was under Elijah, um, as he was known to have poured water on the hands of Elijah. And Elisha was under Elisha, Elijah. And Elijah 
was the one who was used powerfully by the Lord, and there were countless miracles through him. So I'm sure stories have went around, and Elisha being the one under Elijah, I mean, why wouldn't God use him in that way? So she, like, knows something, um, and that's maybe something can be done. And she, I think she thinks, like, oh, I don't, I think there, something can happen. So here she is intentionally seeking to close the gap in her, circumstance, in her circumstances. I almost said circumcision. In her circumstances by seeking help. Okay, that's the first thing she does. She seeks help. But depending on how we read it, I think at this point, some of us can even identify with this woman um, because we can't control our circumstances. Things happen, and you can't help but think, why is this happening to me? I think a lot of us can think like that. And, you know, you could think like, oh, I've been straight. I haven't done anything bad. I don't want to, I don't know why this is happening. And I don't want to read too much into the story, but depending on how you read it, you can kind of see what she's feeling in her words. Um, And Pastor Hannah kind of read it in that way. So she says, your servant, my husband, is dead. And you know that he revered the Lord. But now his creditors come and take my two boys as his slaves. Honestly, she just sounds pissed to me. Our, our, our house served the Lord and we obeyed and we did his will. Like, what the hell? Why is this happening? Am I allowed to say that, Pastor Andre? <laughs> so for her, if this was the case, uh, it's important that she doesn't get stuck in blaming God. Because she's like a little mad, right? And at this point, she's like, oh, why is this happening to me? That's kind of what you do, and and you blame God when bad stuff are kind of happening. To take responsibility in her circumstances is what she does is she seeks help. She seeks help. She trusts, and she obeys, which she chooses to do. I mean, but at this point, she has no other choice. So she cries out to Elisha, and he thinks through it with her. And the Lord uses Elisha to help this woman's faith grow. He asks her what she has. She says, I have a little jar of oil. And he tells her to go collect jars. And he's very specific uh, with this. He says, don't just collect a few. The Lord wants to get her out of the stuckness of her being stuck in her circumstances. um, And he wants to pour out lavishly. So she does this. She trusts, obeys, and collects these jars. And Elisha says, then go inside and shut the door. Uh, behind you and your sons. Elisha is making her do it without him. He's saying, you yourself can grow in faith, and you kind of don't need me, because you can go to God and he will work. And this is her test in a faith for her to see where her faith is at. Um, and an opportunity, it's an opportunity for her to grow in faith. Every circumstance Everything you're going through can be an opportunity for you to grow in faith, whether you choose it or not. And I can't help, he, I can't help but think Elisha does this so that when she needs help again, that she'll go to the Lord herself, knowing that the Lord will come through in his grace for her again. So she obeys, shuts the door behind her without Elijah, and she's about to go from knowing about God to knowing God personally, in a matter of minutes, through his grace and power for specifically her. 
See, knowing God and knowing about God are two totally different things. And um, that's what makes this gap, is that we read everything about the Bible, but we just know about it. And we just need to get to a place where we're just like knowing him. So I'm going to share. Oh, yeah. So she she does that. So he continues to pour oil in every jar. Um, Oil flows and her small jar of oil is multiplied. Uh, God had come through in a powerful way and she was set for life. What she needed was his power. And um, for that gap to close. So I'm going to share part of my story um, where I was stuck in my circumstances and I chose to blame God. I chose to fill it with other things and I learned through the process of how to take responsibility for my development faith and close the gap. Um, Yeah, I'll share that share my story. I, you know, I, I lead praise up here, and as much as I look well put together, I'm really not. I'm just, I'm really broken, as you are, and, like, there's sometimes where I'm, like, sharing hard things, and, um, and how I'm, like, processing it with God, and people just tell me, oh, but, like, you're a pastor, and I'm like, well, I'm, I'm human, too, but, um, I'm, I'm broken, too. So, anyway, so I was stuck, I was very stuck, in my circumstances, meaning I was very stuck in my lies, in the lies that I believed in. Um, at the time, I didn't know it was lies, uh, so I was stuck in feeling bad about myself. I was stuck um, feeling bad about myself for who I was and for whatever I did. Um, I believed this lie that I wasn't good enough and I never will be. I believed that I lacked lacked in everything. Literally, I believed I lacked in compassion, in faith, in physical looks, in trust, in friends, love, relationships, strength, discipline, passion, discernment, wisdom, you name it, I feel like I lacked in everything. Um, I believed, I really believed I was a complete failure um, and will never up to measure, I will never measure up to whatever expectations I had for myself, um, and that was put on me. I truly believed that I wasn't good enough and that I never will be. Uh, I believed that I wasn't worthy of more. And like I said, I didn't know that I was believing in lies. Um, until I looked at my circumstances and my relationships around me. And um, there was also one time in college where I was leading praise in a retreat, and we had a guest speaker um, who was, who's the husband of our women's retreat speaker. By the way, they're an awesome couple. Sign up for the women's retreat. Um, I was leading praise. I remember just seeing this pastor looking at me in the back this whole time going like, and I was like, what the heck is he doing? As I was like playing and he comes up to speak after and um, after I'm done and he calls me up. He's like, hey, can you come up here? And I was like, okay. So I'm like standing like this and he was like, oh, you have uh, such an, you have such an amazing voice. Like you sound 
like an angel, blah, 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 and he's telling me this and that. And I was like, in my head, I was like, okay, you're lying. I can't believe it. This is weird. Um, but I was like, okay, thank you. Um, but one thing that caught me, I think, that he said to me was, but you aren't free. Your worship's not free. You're just not free. And since then, uh, I went on this journey to figure out, like, what the heck? I thought I was free this whole time. What does, that, what does freedom even mean then? And that's when I started this journey of, like, what was going on with me and why I wasn't free. Uh, looking back, I can see that it was because of these expectations that were set on me um, by myself and by my family, mostly my family, expectations that weren't met. Um, and when they weren't met, it just fed into my shame. For example, just a few basic examples. Like, I didn't get into an Ivy League school. And I, because I didn't get in, I felt shame. Uh, you know, evidently, I didn't become the doctor my dad wanted me to be. Um, I remember he literally found, like, um, a clip art of a doctor's body, and he, like, kind of, like, cut and pasted my face into the head, and he posted it all over the house. And I was like, okay, I guess I'll try. Uh, but I took the chemistry SAT2s, and I failed miserably, fed into my shame. Uh, I liked the guy for four years in high school, and I thought he liked me back, and people told me he liked me back, but he ended up dating a different girl. Um, I ended up going to Baruch College in the city, uh, only because it was the best city college in the city. And I was like, oh, maybe I should go for business. But I actually ended up failing calculus. I never went to class. And I didn't get into the business part. Um, got into the arts part of Baruch that no one knows about to study English literature. Um, my life was full of just things not working out because I was trying to meet expectations that it just wasn't me. You know, and of course, during that process, I was like, what the hell, God? Like, what is my life? What are your plans for me? Remember when I said there are five choices we have to close the gap um, between what the Bible says about God and even me and what we're experiencing in our lives, like freedom and stuff? Uh, I wasn't, I was choosing to blame God here. I was, I was blaming God, and I believe that God didn't love me. Uh, after some time, I got called into seminary. <laughs> and even with seminary, I was actually scared and worried that seminary was my last resort just because I had nowhere else to go. Um, and if that was the case, then I didn't belong there either. Uh, then I wasn't good enough for seminary either. And my parents were really against seminary too, uh, my parents hated the fact that I chose to go to seminary because pastors don't make money and because it was Alliance Theological Seminary. Um, I still remember my father like telling me angrily in the car as we were driving, oh, you have to give your, your best to God. And he was like, and Westminster is the best. If you don't know Westminster, it's like a very, I don't know, it's, it's not like ATS, but it's like Westminster. So if you're going to choose to go to seminary, go Westminster. And I was like, I already got up to the ATS. Um, and if that was the case, I felt like I failed God too because I wasn't giving him my best. Um, 
This is to show you how deep I was in, um, in what I believed about myself. Um, so I went to ATS, and there was a journal that was assigned to us that we had to journal about our grievances and what we grieve about. And I remember my first line in the, my grief journal was, I hate that I'm me. I hate me. I hate, I hate me. Um, and our dean, Ron Walborn, he saw the journal, and he called me into his office and told me to go counseling. <laughs> <laughs> So I went to counseling, and we came down to the fact that I was, I was depressed, and I didn't know how to get out of it. Um, again, in retrospect, it came down to me. Uh, it was, I was not loving who I was, not really trusting God uh, for what he had planned or ordained for my life, not trusting that I was loved and that I was worthy of love. I really was such a survivalist my whole life, too, and um, where I was like, you know what? I'm going to compensate by doing more things and by appearing better than I am. Um, appearing like I don't need to have love, but in reality, I just didn't know how to receive it because I didn't think I was worthy of it. Uh, I was around so many people who really, really loved me, but I couldn't even feel their love. I couldn't see them. Um, in fact, I was hurting them. and and my close, cherished relationship started crumbling. Um, insecurities were heightened, and I would blame that, that I didn't feel loved. I was manipulating loved ones with mind games. I was, there was fear-driven behaviors. Um, and because they were crumbling, I had to acknowledge, like, wow, um, problem is me. I, and I wanted to be better and not live I wanted to not live like that, so I felt like I had to fix myself, and then I, had, I felt like I was stuck in performance when I had to fix myself. Then I felt like um, if I have to fix myself, then people don't really love me for me. Like, I was stuck in this weird cycle. Are we tracking? Okay, <laughs> am I the only one who's like that? Okay, I hope not, because I was crazy. But anyway, I was like in this cycle, um, and I knew I had to do something and I was so desperate because I was stuck in this cycle and literally no one was going to take responsibility um, for, to get out of that but me. You know, and you know, like, I felt like at that time, um, like I knew about the love of God, but I wasn't seeing the love of God in my own life. I didn't feel love. God's love, I felt like he was distant. Um, so, but then sitting in seminary, coming to New Mercy, we talk about God the Father and his love, but I was like, oh, but I'm not even feeling it really. I'm not even feeling it for myself. Um, but I knew that it was possible. It was possible to live in security in who you are and in who God is, and it's possible to feel God's love. And I knew like emotional maturity was possible and and healing was possible. So I knew I had to pursue this journey of just healing and seeking the healing presence of God. Um, I had this God-sized hole um, that only he could fill, and I, like, desperately needed it. This I know that we can all resonate, that we have this hole 
where we want to be really fully known and fully loved, but literally no one else can fill it but God. So I came to the end of myself, and I was like, you know what, I am depressed, so I need to come out of this state. And, you know, to, and to put this journey first instead of, like, other priorities that I had. You know, I had to make some sacrifices to put myself first. Um, it was a lot. Um, and to figure out what's important for me in this season, which at that point was an emptying of me, an emptying, full emptying, so I can receive full healing so he can fill me with his truth and love. Um, and I was willing to give all of myself to God for this, no matter what it took. Um, I, <laughs> I wasn't going to share this, but it, I was willing to give everything for two because I was, I was in this state. And at that time, I was dating, and we were seriously dating, and we were about to get married. Um, we were going to get married after seminary, but at the time, it was that relationship where it was like crumbling, um, was, and I tried to make myself better and everything, but I, we, we realized that I was trying to like have him meet my expectations and him fill my hole, and at the time, he became God, and I was like, if I want the full healing of God, I can't, I just can't have him in my life right now because I need to be alone with God. Like I said, I don't know where that drive came from, and like, um, but I, I had to pursue this healing uh, journey, and I was willing to give everything, give everything to know more of God. So it was literally, I was like, I need to close this gap. I need to just give everything. Um, it's still raw um, because uh, I ended up giving it up. Um, but alone time in God's presence was priority. Um, inner healing, deliverance, counseling, like I, I seeked all of that. But at the same time, I just dealt with a lot of things with God where I, was, where I got to be really honest. Um, I blamed God for this loss. I was like, you took this away from me, I'm, you're punishing me, like I went through that. Um, so even like going to counseling now, I'm, it's more like, why do I view God the way I view God? Why do I feel like, I don't feel like he's punishing me now, I kind of went through that. Um, but figuring out why, like, why I believe this, why I believe that, what, what's playing into my life and just kind of putting it into, like, into a puzzle. And I just, it's very intentional to put this journey first. And for me, I want to continue to pursue this. this. I'll give everything to know more of you. Um, I will because I know oil will flow. Like looking at Bible passages with this woman in the oil, I know oil will flow. And all, he only asks for like a small jar of olive oil. And I know it will flow. And it just, for me, it took a sacrifice. It took risk for me to 
get to that place because I was so stuck. Um, but I'm willing and I believe, and this is, what, this is what we do with the word, right? We take it and we hold it true into our lives. And we say, this can come true in our lives because I know oil will flow. It's, it's still a process for me. It's hard. Um, and it, it does hurt. Um, but I, I have seen, like, jars filling in my life. And I know as I continue to empty myself, I'll have more jars. If we look back in our passage today, um, Elijah says, don't just collect a few jars. He says, continue to collect. He says to collect a lot because oil will continue to flow as much as we empty ourselves and bring these empty jars. Because you only get as much of God as, as much as you give and, and collect. Thank you for listening to my story. We, we need to get to a place where we just have to come out of this stuckness and do what it takes to pursue more of God because oil is going to flow in your life. Like, I believe it for you guys. I believe it for myself, even though it freaking hurts. And I just believe it for us. Oil just will flow. But we got to get on the same page with what the Holy Spirit wants to do in your life. What is he asking you to do to not get stuck? What is he asking you to do to cooperate with him? Like I said, for me, it took a sacrifice, it took risk. I don't know if that's what it's like for you. Um, but I think a good place where the woman was at and where I was at was that I was desperate. And she was desperate for more of God. I know there are people here who are desperate for more of God. And you just need to have just one step. So I'm going to ask you to do something. If you're desperate for more of God, because and you want to believe that oil will flow, I'm going to ask you to come up. Just take that step and be like, make that prophetic move and saying, God, I'm desperate for you. I'm going to show you right now that I'm desperate and that I need your oil to flow in my life. I'm going to ask you to come up. Um, you, it's, I'm, it's not nothing forcing. It's just, it's just you and God, a move with you and God, and it's just you saying, God, I'm desperate for more of you because I know power is real. I know the word is alive. I know the word is real, and I am desperate. So if, when you come up, I'll ask people to pray for you. But it's a step between you and God so, you can, so he can see that you are desperate and you're willing to go after this.
if the prayer ministry people can come down to pray for the youth group and for whoever else comes down.